As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome to episode 469 with my guest, Carolyn Gehrig. Today's episode is brought to us by Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easier than ever to launch your passion project, whether you're showcasing your work or selling products of any kind. With beautiful templates and the ability to customize just about anything, you can easily make a beautiful website yourself. And if you do get stuck, Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support is there to help. So head to squarespace.com slash mental for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code mental to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. My name is Paul Gail Martin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. You have not arrived here by mistake. Maybe you have. If you if you if you have arrived here by mistake, uh, let me beg you to stay. I'm on my knees right now. Please, please continue. Uh, this podcast is a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions past traumas and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, the show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I am not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, the website for this show is mentalpod.com. All kinds of stuff you can check out there. You can fill out surveys. <clears throat> Maybe we'll read your survey on air. There's a form you can post in. Um, you can support the podcast financially uh, through the through the website, and we can always use financial support, whether it's via PayPal or Patreon. Uh, it's always greatly greatly appreciated. It, it helps keep the the show going. I want to read something from the Love Survey. This was filled out. Oh, and just a, a word before we air the episode with uh, Carolyn. I recorded this this episode in 2015, and let me explain why it's taken so long to, to air it. Sometimes when I am interviewing somebody, maybe I'm hopped up on coffee or I'm just in a 
I don't know, state where I need to, to talk a lot. But after I recorded her, I was cringing at how much I talked and I dreaded going through and editing the episode because I didn't want to have to listen to myself. And I, I finally got somebody to, uh, I have a friend who's helping me out with the editing. And so he took on the task of trimming down this episode. And so that's, that's why it is finally ready. And Carolyn was very, very patient. This is from the love survey. And this is filled out by a woman who calls herself undiagnosed mess. And she wrote, I love when the song you're listening to ends just as you pull into your destination. I love when my cat sleeps on my pillow and gently vibrates my head with her purrs. I love when a toddler in my classroom learns a new word or skill. I love the feeling of clocking out on a Friday night with the whole weekend ahead of you. And I love the feeling of not setting an alarm for tomorrow morning. Oh, that is, that is the best one. I got to do this. Today is my birthday. And last night I, uh, I got to do that and that's not like I don't do that on other days, but um, being being your own boss is uh, it's a blessing and a, and a curse because you always feel like you should be doing more, but you're also able to work at whatever whatever hours you you feel like it. Uh, I am a little alarmed at how much weight I've been gaining lately. Maybe it's the chocolates somebody sent as a Christmas present. I don't know exactly. But if you were to do a time, like my, my shirt is doing that thing where as my belly gets bigger, it starts rising. And I was thinking if you, if I, if you did a time lapse of me with my arms out, it would, it would look like a magic trick where I reveal my belly button. Uh, one of our sponsors for today is BetterHelp.com. If you have never tried online counseling, I am a big fan. I've been doing it for a couple of years. And there's so many issues that my counselor has helped me work through and continues to help me work through. Uh, and it's really nice not having to leave my house to, to do therapy every week. Uh, if you're interested, go to BetterHelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part so they know that you came from this podcast. Then uh, all you do is fill out a questionnaire, and if they have a counselor that they feel is a good fit for you, they'll match you up with one, and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if uh, it's something that you like, and you need to be over 18. This is just uh, an excerpt from a shame and secret survey, and this was filled out by um, a person who calls themselves, uh, I believe it's a it's a female uh, she calls herself Aces. And under the darkest secrets, she writes, My dad can't swim, so when we were younger, we would play lifeguard, which was my dad drunk, jumping off the diving board, and us alternating who got to save him. When I was 9, 10, maybe 11, I can't recall exactly, we were at a big cookout for one of the summer holidays. We are playing lifeguard, and it's my turn to rescue him when someone yells out that the food is done. The adults immediately start shuffling kids when my dad jumps into the water. I quickly noticed the crowd had all moved to the food, and I stood there realizing I had the power to decide if my dad lived or died. 
I just stared, trying to make myself space out so I didn't have to make any decisions, and fate could decide if our lives would be better without him. I don't know how much time actually passed, but someone did jump in, and we didn't play that game again. It was never addressed why we didn't, and I was never questioned about why I hadn't jumped in. It feels like it was a dream, and I would let myself believe that if my thoughts in those moments with, and I I would let myself believe that if my thoughts in those moments with him underwater weren't so clear. I don't know if that's a typo or not. What a uh, (laughs) running out of steam moment uh, to end on a little typo. I think what she meant to say, it feels like it was a dream and I would let myself believe my thoughts in those moments with him underwater weren't so clear. Holy shit. That is... Wow. Thank you for that. This episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. Uh, You guys know how much uh, my dog Gracie means to me. Now, imagine this. Imagine that you have a Gracie in your life and you're at the vet's office and uh, all of a sudden you get a bill for a couple of grand. Well, if you had pet insurance, your pet could be covered for accidents or illnesses. And that's why you should check out ASPCA Pet health insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim, and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash mental. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com dot com slash mental again that's aspca petinsurance.com slash mental this is a paid advertisement insurance is underwritten by either independence american insurance company or united states fire insurance company and produced by ptz insurance agency limited the aspca is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance this episode is sponsored by cerebral Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online, you'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. And judgment-free is definitely how I would describe uh, the sessions that I've had with my cerebral therapist. Her name is Megan. She is thoughtful. She is empathetic, and uh, and she's knowledgeable. And she's been helping me clarify baby steps I can take to uh, help achieve the professional goals that I uh, am trying to set. Um, I'm a big fan. All cerebral clinicians are vetted, credentialed, and trained to help you feel better. They stay up to date on the latest studies and breakthroughs so they can provide quality care that's based on rigorous research. 
To get started on your path towards better mental health, Cerebral is giving our listeners 15% off the first month of online therapy, medication, or both. Get started at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use the code MENTAL. That's Cerebral, C-E-R-E-B-R-A-L dot com slash podcast, and then use the code MENTAL to get 15% off your first month. Make 2024 your best year yet. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. See site for details. And then uh, one more survey before we get to the interview with Carolyn. This is filled out by, it's a happy moment filled out by a guy who calls himself Small Guy Big Heart. He writes, um, A few weeks ago, I woke up thinking I was off of work that day and slept in with my fiancé. My aunt, who I live with, came back from grocery shopping as we were eating and talking. I do landscaping, which is important to note because the weather greatly impacts my hours, and they were giving rain later on in the day. Another reason that didn't go in. So I thought I'd save the gas and stay home. Anyways, she walked in and like the workaholic she is, began to completely destroy any feeling of self-worth I had for that day. She called me lazy and dumb for assuming I had the day off. Told me I was going to get fired. She, quote, felt it coming and wasn't going to support my ass if it happened. After she said... After she said that, I silently got up with my fiancé from the table and went back to my bedroom where I started to cry but cut it short. My fiancé was fuming and wanting to rip my aunt's throat out. I stopped her, of course, and got ready for work. My boss is family, so I can clock in and out as I please, sorta. Driving there and back was the most difficult drive I've been a part of. Every tree I wanted to be wrapped up in, every ditch would have looked better with a totaled car flipped over and my body crumpled near it. I worked a handful of hours and went back home. Same thoughts got to me while driving and I swerved a few times but made it home. I ignored my quote family and went straight to my room where my fiance was, where my fiance was and immediately laid on her crying. She was watching Netflix and just put her phone so we could both watch, even though my crying interrupted the plot. She still played with my hair and told me, it's okay, and she's a stupid bitch, while the rain hit the roof and I eventually fell asleep. Being held so tenderly and having someone on your side as I fell asleep was so incredibly moving to me. I'm so happy to have my strong, smart, supportive fiancé. P.S. If you're reading this and thinking it's nothing and I'm a crybaby, this is the same aunt who threw my brother out for being trans, told me I'd die and lose everything if I got on antidepressants because it would, quote, make me slower than I already am, and made me show her my asshole, claiming she's in the medical field. She sells oxygen tanks. Every little thing feels like the end of the world. The darkness came so quickly. I was so fucking angry. Make me as close to dead as possible. And I felt so powerless. Without the commitment. If there's a word for it. Unbearable. It means somebody else felt this way. The feeling is so intense. It is a lot more work. I was frightened all the time. To feed a child's emotional world. Everyone feels pain. Than it is their superficial world. Everyone suffers. My sexual addiction was the shame. My mom ended up killing that woman in front of me and my brothers. I had to feel that shame in order to feel the pleasure and i was being a dick to everybody we are social beings and the only way you're going to get it out is to cry 
We need to be with people. I grabbed them by their throats and led them down to the floor and watched the breath leave their bodies. Well, Maybe listen, thanks people. for coming in. <laughs> I am here with Carolyn Gehrig, who um, was referred to me by another podcast guest. Margot Lightman. Margot Lightman, who actually I haven't been able to um, record yet, but we're... We're trying to. She's great. Well, now she has that to live up to. She has <laughs> you to thank for that. I think she'll exceed that. She said that you have a uh, connective tissue disease. Is that is that what you would call it, or what? what what's the name of the I the disease? Do it's called Ehlers Danlos Syndrome. Um, Can you spell that? E H L E R S D A N L O S, and then. The word syndrome. <laughs> I need that spelled yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's a connect. It's a genetic uh, connective tissue disorder. Um, there are a lot of different types of it. They're still doing research um, to figure out exactly how it affects the body. But basically, uh, it's a collagen uh, deficiency, and it affects all people very differently, even within each specific type. Um, and the type I have not only affects my joints and makes me hypermobile, which you can see I'm sitting here and I'm a little bit of a pretzel, um, but it also affects my internal organs. So things like uh, my stomach is very unpredictable um, and I have um, uh, neurological problems and um, just a lot of a lot of internal organ issues. What do you mean when you say hypermobile, meaning you can bend in every direction or what? Yeah, um, I bend backwards. Like I can uh, clasp my arms behind my back like I'm doing right now. Um, if I did not have these ring splints on, they look like um, jewelry that goes across my fingers. I have some actual rings kind of interspersed mm -hmm. them. But if I had them off, you could see that my fingers would bend back all the way. This thumb I oh have. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh my God! She just bent her thumb as if it it wasn't even connected to her hand. Yeah, but that doesn't even hurt um, to do that. It's just kind of what my body does. So, what is the downside to being hypermobile? Um, I'm in pain around the clock, um, and my pain levels are uh, they're just higher than most people because I have an extremely high pain tolerance. So, when I say that I'm I run anywhere between like a four to a seven on a normal day. Um, that's usually like a higher level for most people. Um, people that are not don't experience pain. it day yeah. in and day out. Yeah. I don't really understand what it's like not to be in pain. Um, I haven't had a pain-free day. And I, I mean, I don't think that I've ever had a pain-free day. Maybe um, I just can't even conceptualize what that's like. But again, that's also just what my life is. So that's kind of what the baseline is for living. Isn't it weird how our normal, uh, you know, we always look at dogs, you know, like you see a dog riding in the car and it makes us <laughs> laugh because they're just, that's their, they just go with it. Yeah. Because I guess they don't, they just don't question it. And in a lot of ways we do too. We do. There's shit that we can't change that we just talk about that. It's true. Um, it's, it's a problem, uh, living with pain every day. It, it does have a downside. And I think when you are diagnosed with something that tells you 
you're in pain and it's never really going to get better and it's going to get worse and you're presented with option after option of uh, for pain medication and they don't really work um, or you develop a tolerance and then you have to come off of it because it stops working or um, it has addictive qualities or it really messes with your body in other ways. Um, any pain med I've ever tried has been really kind of ineffective and just unpleasant, frankly. Um, You're clearly not an addict. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> because they just don't. If you were, uh, if you were a uh, an opiate addict, uh, I can't imagine what a nightmare your your life would be. No, but I mean, I've been given high dosages of um, opiates before, and they don't. I mean, they don't do anything to me. Like my body just doesn't absorb them. So, and it, you don't feel a. a reduction in the pain no it's like taking an aspirin it's like a joke it's kind of like it takes the edge off slightly but it doesn't really do anything it doesn't get me high it just it makes my stomach hurt and it doesn't really help and i'm still i mean it dehydrates mm -hmm. me it's not really pleasant and then it makes things a little bit awkward at the pharmacy um i mean now it doesn't because i have the same pharmacists and you know i've been they going your, to the same people they know but your condition they do. However, um, there's legislation right now that's being pushed through that is making it harder for pain patients to get the drugs that they need and the treatment that they need um, all over the country. Because of all the pill shoppers. Right. Um, but sometimes you do have to pill shop if you're a, if you're a legitimate pain patient. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just kind of a part of pain management. Um, no, I mean the, the people that pretend that they have pain and, and uh, doctor shoppers that, that go from doctor to doctor to doctor and don't tell the one doctor that they're going to see the other doctor. And so they've got nine prescriptions for Oxycontin. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, there's they're addicts, but I, I think that anyone who's an addict, like they're they're going to get what they need to get in whatever way they're going to need to get it. I, I don't think that, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the harm that they're doing to pain patients, I'm is a recovering kind of addict worse. and I have dozens and dozens of friends who are recovering addicts and we, I've heard all their stories and the things they do. And it's, it's a sick genius keeping yourself high. There's a sick genius to it. And there are 10 steps ahead of anybody who is possibly thinking of, I mean, look at the way meth was created. Scraping acid from a battery. <laughs> oh, God. Right. And cooking it to get high. It, that's just one instance of how desperately people can be in psychic and spiritual pain and need to, need to escape. But I digress. Let's get back to your... Uh, to your battle, how old were you when you were diagnosed with this? Oh, I wasn't. Um, I wasn't diagnosed until uh, two thousand and three, um, but I had experienced pain uh, far before that. I struggled on and off in high school. Uh, in high school, I was in a wheelchair and I used a cane for a while, um, and I had problems uh, dating back to elementary school. Um, I was always in and out of doctors, like I was a sick kid, um, but. Uh, when I was, yeah, in 2002, I was working and I fell down a flight and a half of marble stairs. And then I didn't heal from it for a year. And I was trying uh, pretty much anything that I could do to heal from it. And then finally, I went to a rheumatologist who um, stretched out both of my arms and took a family history and then just kind of like felt my skin. Uh, because another 
one of the symptoms for this is that we all have kind of like soft velvety skin and we look a little bit younger than we are. And um, he told me, okay, well, you have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And I was so excited to hear that I finally had had an answer. Yes. And I thought that anything that could be diagnosed would definitely have a cure or a path for treatment or something. Um, And so I figured that I would figure it out and everything would be okay. But um, then he told me that I would probably be dead by the time I was 30, which is not something that I wanted to hear. And obviously, it's not true, because right now I'm 37. Um, And um, so that was weird. And I had to kind of adjust to that. And then... How old were you when he said this? I was uh, about 25. So it was a... Wow. Yeah, it was very strange. You've got five more years to live. Yeah. But... They also didn't really know very much. And there are, to be fair, there are a lot of people who die really young from this because it is a disease that has a lot of uh, spontaneous uh, aneurysms um, because there are a lot of vein complications um, with certain types. I don't think I've ever heard of a disease that has such horror and awesomeness to it <laughs> at the same time. I mean, it's You're not... You're going to have velvety young skin. You'll be able to be bend a joint any direction you want. But you're going to die, and you're going to be in pain. Yeah. It's um, it's a mixed bag. I mean, it's not really a mixed bag. It's just, uh, it's one of those things. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that the, the plus <laughs> comes anywhere <laughs> near to canceling out the bad. I just, no, you know, is, one of the things we like to do on this podcast is It is a disabling laugh. chronic illness. I am with you there 100%. I've laughed about it a million times. Um, yeah, I, my, figured, I figured. I have so many friends with it, and it tends to be a lot of young, pretty women who are diagnosed with it. Um, that just that's what it is across the board. Um, we joke about having an EDS face where you're kind of symmetrical, you have big eyes and um, like big lips and like a thin nose. Um, it's just a certain facial type. And I have a, I have a very good friend in real life and she's a model and we hang out together and we'll occasionally see someone and we'll see like kind of the way they're holding their body and we'll look at each other and we'll kind of know. <laughs> That person has it. Yeah, or there's a higher person, incident. Do you think that person knows they have it? Um, well, now more and more people are being diagnosed. At the time when I was diagnosed, um, not many people were being diagnosed. It was, um, I think the numbers were something like 1 in 20,000 people, but now it's something like 1 in 5,000 people. Really? Yeah, it's a lot more common than I think people think I'd never even heard of it. Yeah. Um, at the time, I didn't, there was a national organization um, and they had a website and they, I don't think that their forum worked at the time, but, um, there were a couple of people, there were like two or three people on live journal who had it. So I signed up for live journal and I started talking to those people on live journal. Um, and then I started making friends with them. And a couple of years later, um, I, uh, got involved with a couple of women in New York who had started a support group. And then I ran that group until I left New York and came to Los Angeles um, in 2010. Is this how you met all the people with ED? Uh, yeah. Well, that's how I started. And then now it's just, uh, the internet is kind of all over the place. So, and do you have a lot of friends locally that you can spend time with that have it as well? I just came from my friend Mandy's house and we were, yeah, we were hanging out and she was not feeling great and I wasn't feeling great. And so we looked at each other and, you know, she lay down on the couch and I laid down on the couch and 
I don't know, we kind of meter each other. It's really nice to have other friends who are sick because we know our physical limits and we don't have to explain things to each other. It's it's just a good it's, thing. That's what I get in support groups. Yeah. Is it, it's just so nice to know that you're understood. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times the fear when you have something you're struggling with, the fear is you're going to put it out there and it's going to be misinterpreted or minimized. But when somebody else is experiencing or has experienced what you have, that fear is taken away. And it just is all that's left is comfort. Yeah. And our our symptoms are so strange, too. Uh, we have like a secret. It, I mean, it's not really secret. But, uh, Instagram allows like you to private message 15 people at a time. So we developed like two a year to two years ago, like this group of 15 women. And we started Instagram group messaging about like very private things. So we started talking about like gynecological issues that weren't being written about anywhere online, including in the forums. Um, and we found a lot of things that were very unique to women with Ehlers-Danlos that we have not found in other places. Um, and that's been really useful because a lot of us thought that we were alone and we were able to address these issues with our doctors and get treated in a much better way and in a much quicker way. Um, so really sharing that information and not being shy about like things that were, I don't know, that might be really embarrassing. Um, Anything you want to share? We love, <laughs> we love awkward no, I mean, and like, embarrassing I'll, here. Um, I mean, some, some stuff was like mild incontinent issues, but I mean, like a lot of it was just like, oh, this weird thing that happens during sex. Does this happen with you too? Um, and then a lot of us found that the same thing was happening with our bodies during sex. And um, we had also found that it wasn't happening in our friends that didn't have Ehlers-Danlos when we talked to them about sex and they would be like, no, that doesn't happen in my body. And so then we figured out that this was a muscular thing. And then we started talking to our doctors about it and then started to figure out so like... You what were, was happening? You were like a research group for yeah, a little bit, and a couple of us have worked. I mean, in... if you're if if you're letting your doctors know that that you are you're, you... well, that's how we get better treatment. Like we all have yeah. to kind of train our doctors. Good job ourselves. minimizing it, though. That, that, you just kind of minimized what how awesome it is that you guys are pushing pushing this forward. Well, and... we're we're engaged patients. Yes, like they. Engaged patients are now referred to as e-patients, um, and it's kind of like this whole great movement online where, you know, you research your conditions and bring stuff back and forth to your doctors. And some doctors aren't really that into it, but some other doctors are and find that they can learn a lot from their patients. Is there like, anything better than a curious doctor? No, there isn't. A, a, a curious, patient, compassionate doctor. There is nothing Nothing better. No, and they're so hard to find. Um, although they are becoming a little bit more prevalent, I've found so many recently. It's amazing. People talk about the internet. They love to bash it, you know, and all people use it for is porn and to be creepy. And I just love when I, you know, for instance, what this podcast does, what you guys are are doing. Um, when when positive things go viral on the internet, it's it's just so it's just so nice when you see. Something that is so often used to exploit people being used to to help to help people and and to see um a group of people like like you have um taken the reins in their 
and their recovery. That's that's really awesome. Thank you. Do you ever just kind of stop and go, I'm, I'm fucking badass? Um, sometimes I do. Yeah. I mean, it helps kind of push things forward when I don't feel great about myself or like when I did mention to you in an email that I do have mental illness and I do have PTSD and that that is kind of part of my set of diagnoses. And I, I do kind of go like, okay, well, what would I say to myself if I were talking to another patient right now um, about pursuing care for themselves? And what would I do if I were talking to me and that's like that's kind of a weird thing to say but that's I mean I have that's, to I have to do that if I'm so going to be on the that's so incredibly evolved um talk Ooh. about your the project the hospital glam project sure um it started as a little bit more than a year ago um I got another diagnosis kind of uh, added on because I have a lot of comorbidities. It's just something that happens as our bodies break down um, with Ehlers-Danlos. We get a lot more things that happen to so, us. So in other words, things kind of snowball and develop into other things. Yes. Or um, you'll just get something else. So I had uh, something, uh, I had some neural, uh, you know, I actually never, um, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor uh, in addition to some other stuff. Why not? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> I know. You had um, nothing to do on a yeah, Sunday? Basically. Let's uh, swing by the CAT scan and see if we can't double down. Right. I noticed some weird things. And um, initially, they thought that it might be something in my breast or like something gynecological. And it turned out not to be that. It turned out to be a, like a brain thing. And um, that was really stressful. But I knew that I was going to be in the doctor's office more often. And I knew that I needed more support. But I also knew that with my personal limits and my personal boundaries, I knew that I couldn't access the type of support that one would normally access as someone who needs support in that way. Because when you're a chronic pain patient, like people show up at the beginning, and they're like, very there for you. And they're like, this is really terrible. But then over time, I think people don't really understand that like, it's chronic pain, it's never really going away. And they want you to get better, because they're your friends, and they do care about you, and they love you. But they don't really know what to do about it. And um, they want to some of them, I imagine, want to try to fix you want to change your mood a little bit. Um, but you know, I mean, they're well intentioned. But that only kind of goes so far. But after a while, like, it's really hard to maintain those relationships. And I can see how it's difficult to offer the same type of support to someone where you do feel like there's a wall or you can't cross over that bridge and connect with someone that you used to be friends with in the same way because your lives are fundamentally different. It's kind of like when someone has kids and then they're friends with someone who doesn't have kids. It's a much more extreme version of that, but it's kind of like that over time. It's just a different path. So I knew that I couldn't access support in the same way. So I started posting photos of myself in a similar way to like people were posting photos of themselves out and doing things. And um, I was at the hospital. So I would post post photos of myself at the hospital. And I didn't want to post a point of view shot because if I was posting a point of view shot, it would ask people to look through my eyes. And I didn't want people to look through my eyes and think, oh, this is what she must be feeling because I, nobody's in my head and nobody knows what I'm feeling. And so I thought that it would be better if they looked at me because I'm, I don't know, because they are on the outside of me. And then if they could see me in the context where I am, they would have a better idea and maybe it wouldn't be as scary to them. And so I started posting them. I also, 
get really angry about a lot of uh, a lot of sexism that I was experiencing in doctors' offices at the time too. Um, so I tried to make them mimic um, like fashion uh, ads and things that I saw in the media. Um, so I would kind of like pose aggressively for the two or three minutes before the doctor came in the room while the thing was on the timer. So, um, so my photos are posed more like fashiony shots. And what are you trying to convey through these? Um, I'm trying to convey that we're sold this image of health and beauty and success. And we're often sold that through, uh, bodies that are not necessarily healthy, um, we don't really know what their experience is. We don't know what they are actually feeling. We just see them. And we see them out in the world and we see their bodies kind of broken down or in these poses that mimic sick bodies. Um, and so I thought about taking that and putting it back into a medical environment. I mean, why not put like a kind of sick fashion-y pose in a medical environment where it belongs and then also inject that type of like fashion beauty glamour thing back into that environment with a tongue-in-cheek thing mm -hmm. because if they're taking it out why not put it back i mean why can't we just have that it's awesome what did you feel the first time you posted one and you got feedback uh i didn't really have a big uh social media following i just had kind of my friends and so um they liked them and i was happy with that um and i felt like yay they like these I'm I'm doing this and this is just kind of support and I'm just going to keep doing this while I'm in there. And it was fun. Um and I'm I'm an artist. I went to art school and um I had also uh I'm a painter by trade. I get I'm a painter/performance artist and um I had stopped uh doing stuff because I wasn't physically able to. So this was kind of my way of expressing what I needed to at the time. And it couldn't come from any place deeper in your in your being no i mean in my opinion <laughs> it's just like you went right to the center you know yeah it's i mean it's good i like doing it um it's effective for me does it ever help you when you're going to a visit and you're just have had just a fucking ass full of visits lately does the thought that I might be able to get a little piece of art out of this visit today, does that ever lighten the pain and the drudgery? Yes, it does. Because I like the idea of going into a space and feeling like I can own the space. Like that's, that's also kind of a big part of it for me because I feel like I can walk into the space and set the timer and then I have that time to just do whatever I want and exist mm -hmm. and... I don't know, just kind of take it over and change the energy. And then it puts me on the same level as the doctor too, kind of. Because it's like my room for that time. And so many doctors are made, wind up making you feel intentional or not as if you are a burden to their schedule. They do. I mean, they can. I, I'm very, very lucky in terms of the doctors that I have now because I have a really great team and I am really getting excellent care. Um, and I'm extreme. Again, I'm really fortunate. And I know so many other people and so many people who are participating in the project now because now it's opened up and there are, I mean, there are hundreds of people participating, which is 
so incredible. I love all of the photos. I love it when people hashtag and when people do it. It's so cool. I can't. Uh, oh, God. Some of the photos are beyond. There's this awesome lady with EDS um, who's a fashion person um, in uh, Canada, and she she made a bunny fascinator and took these and wore an Andamula Meester gown. I don't know what any of the things oh, are that, you're, that super, you are saying. She made a bunny hat with okay. a veil um, and bunny ears. Yeah. And it's so high fashion. And she she took these photos and they're, oh, so gorgeous. Um, and then there's another uh, woman up in the Bay Area. Her name is Heather. Um, and she, she takes these beautiful photos. Um, and she's a mortician by day. And she's just, and she has Ehlers-Danlos. <laughs> and she... She takes great photos, and she's really cool. So, is is part of uh, part of it? I would imagine is is uh, kind of um, saying I'm not going to be defined by my illness. And another part of it is commenting on how out of context beauty is viewed in our in our society. That it's we don't know the story of what that person with who looks like a waif. Uh, what is that person like when the camera isn't? Yeah, I mean, photos kind, of, photos kind of lie. It's, I mean, it's a project about invisible illness, and um, we don't really know what's going on in people's bodies. And doctors kind of wave away patients with invisible illnesses all the time. Um, a lot of patients with invisible illnesses are told that um, they're faking it, or that their pain isn't real, or that because they don't look sick, it can't be happening, um, and they don't get the care that they need. They need to have a better attitude. Yeah, um, or that they need to dress a certain way or look a certain way in order to be taken seriously. And sometimes that ends up in people going into a doctor's office and like pretending or not pretending because they are sick, but then like exaggerating a symptom in one way or another um, to be taken more seriously. And then people react to what they think sick looks like and then I mean, it's still kind of like faking illness, even though it's not faking illness. It's a and cry, it's, it's a such a strange for a thing. a real need for help. Right. But then it's really hard on both the care providers and the patients, and it's not really helping anyone. And I think it really is better if people can be themselves and if care providers can respond to that. And you really need to train care providers and have better care providers. I mean, I've had some bad experiences. You and me both. Yeah. Some terrible, terrible ones, especially as a child that were just traumatizing, just oh. absolutely traumatizing. Yeah. And I didn't know at the time that that, you know, that that doctor w should have been, you know, had their credentials yanked or <laughs> the sad part is it happens when we're at our weakest and most vulnerable moment. That's the, that's the hard thing. And I also, I, you know, on a certain level, I understand the doctor or the policeman or the paramedic who just sees day in and day out heavy, heavy shit that they have to kind of um, detach in a certain way, but they've got to fight it better. Some of them need, just need to fight it better and to try to remember this is a human being. This is not their ninth uh, uh, appointment today. This is your ninth appointment today. So treat it like it's both your first appointment today. That's, that's true. That has some validity. I, um, I, you know, I see it at both sides of the coin. I have empathy for them. Um, 
And I think that there's a difference, though, between like a tired care provider and someone who's just treating you kind of like a number and then someone who has almost like an antipathy towards you, where they just don't think that you're anything and they think that you don't know anything and that you are like, I, I did have a bad experience in the past year. And it was, um, I was, it was with a nurse at a, I actually have had more than one bad experience, but this one really bothered me because I was alone and I was going in for a test and, um, uh, it was a new sort of testing thing. And within three minutes walking into the room, the nurse lied to me about a procedural thing. And I knew that she was lying because I know, because I know the procedures. Um, and somebody who's not as well versed wouldn't know that, but I knew. Um, and a couple of minutes later in the room, she messed up on something else. Uh, she was putting a line in my arm, um, because she had to give me fluids and then I think administer meds during an IV, like while she did the procedure. Um, and it was a procedure that was going to take something like 45 minutes and, uh, like it was going to be like a whole system stress test. So it wasn't like a quick thing. Um, and it was something where she was going to have to record my responses during the entire test too. So it wasn't like, it was something where it did matter that she was paying attention to me and it wasn't just a fast thing. Um, and I asked her to use a child's needle because I have very fragile veins and she didn't use a child's needle. Um, she told me that she was, but she didn't cause I know the gauges of needles. I know how they feel cause I'm mm. kind of a pro at this. Um, and she went right through the vein and, um, it hurt and that's really dangerous for me. And, uh, so there's blood all over the place and, um, I'm asking her to stop. And I have at the same time that this is going on, I have a camera going off. So the camera's on a timer. Um, and she knows that the camera's on a timer, but she's like just out of frame. So, uh, I had deleted the photos from this. I don't know why I did, but you can like see me and I'm just kind of like looking over at her and she's, and I'm arguing with her and she's messing with my arm. And then she leaves the room and I'm pinned down um, and she comes back and I'm like, you, you need to leave. You need another. I, because I just kind of caught myself in that moment. I was like, okay, I can either go through this for an hour and have the whole test result be horrible and not get what I need and have to either redo the test and have it be a very expensive, very horrible mistake and feel terrible and then feel terrible afterwards because I'm going to have to talk to people online about this and I'm going to see the photos from this and it's going to be like this horrible memory where I feel like a traitor to myself or I can suck it up and I can tell her she has to leave and I need a new nurse. And so I did. And then she threatened me. She told me that another nurse was going to treat me just as uh, the same as she did. And it wasn't going to make a difference. And I told her it didn't matter. I was uncomfortable with her and she needed to go. And so she left again and she came back with another nurse. And it was the very beginning of the test. And um, she told me again that it was going to throw my entire day off by an hour or more, which it didn't in the end. It threw it off by 10 minutes total. And um, the other nurse came in and she was responsive and great and she fixed it. The rest of the test was great and everything was fine in the end. Um, it was just, I listened to my instinct and spoke up for myself. Um, 
And it's a really hard thing to do when you're alone. And it's a really hard thing to do when you're on the table um, and in a vulnerable position. And it's really scary. But you have to do it because it's your body. And you're the one that knows what's going on. And I mean, it matters. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I, just listening to you share that, I was just rooting for you because, you know, as I shared with you, somebody who has had medical, just terrible providers. When you're a child, you're you're frightened, and 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 you don't know that you can say that you know this isn't acceptable. Um, let's talk. Let's go back to your childhood and and talk about talk about that you didn't i don't think you specified where your ptsd came from um did it come from something in childhood or adolescence or adulthood um i have a uh, complex ptsd i've been i've been told i have one of the most severe cases of ptsd uh that they've ever seen did uh, they which, say did they say that as they slid a trophy towards you <laughs> pretty much it was uh disturbing um uh, I had a lot of uh, strange things happen as a child. Uh, I, um, I, I, it's really difficult to talk about my childhood because um, I love my parents very much. Um, I think that they did the best that they could. Um, that said, I mean, they were both uh, active duty NYPD when I was a little kid. And, um, most of my early childhood is like blacked out. I don't remember most of it. I have vague memories. Uh, like I remember my dad telling me stories like when he came home and they changed shifts. So like, I remember these like violent things that were either told to me or that happened that were just like confusing and weird things. Um, and I remember, uh, like my mom would take us to the Met every Sunday and like let us loose in the Met. So I remember that. Um, but I don't remember anything aside from like crawl spaces and like um, trying to get as small as I could in like cabinets and things, which is a weird thing. Um, Do you, you don't recall what it was that you were trying to escape from? Like a lot of just a lot of stuff in my house, just like a lot of uh, just a lot of like familial violence and like not really uh, uh, just a lot of unpleasantness when I was a kid. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then I have like the routine, like not routine, but I have like sexual assault and stuff like that from growing up. Um, <laughs> just a bunch. And then I had a bad marriage. <laughs> You know, light stuff. I'm I'm fun. <laughs> My sister tells me that I was kidnapped, but I don't remember that at all. But that was only for like a couple of hours. I don't believe her entirely. I just I want to explain to the listener that the <laughs> Carolyn's facial expressions the last thirty seconds was like somebody who didn't know which soup to order that the looks on her her face was uh <laughs> was so 
I've had some stalkers. <sighs> my life was threatened at my at a job once. I had a bodyguard for like six months. There's just there's a lot that's happened to me in my life. It's a little intense. It's just funny. <laughs> I'm just my jaw is kind of open because I as an interviewer, I don't even know where there's to a, go. No, I mean there's just kind there's of just, I don't know. We uh, what do you what would you like to talk about? Because I, I certainly don't want to to have you talk about something that you're not comfortable talking about? Yeah, I feel... Okay, so I feel like with my general demeanor and, like, the way that I handle PTSD stuff, like, I am I'm a lot like my father. Um, and uh, he had... A, like, he had a rough childhood, and um, he grew up uh, with his mom and my Aunt Virginia, who's mentally disabled, who then, like, lived with us when my grandmother died. And he became the man of the house at an early age. And he just kind of adopted this like big, I can do anything type of personality. And like, just, just kind of come at me like, just whatever, just, I'm a, I'm kind of a tough guy, but um, almost like quietly. So, and my brother and I have kind of learned a bunch of personality traits from him that for better or for worse have led us to just, be kind of quiet in the face of things or like people don't people kind of challenge us but don't necessarily mess with us it's a very it's a very strange like dance that people do well you have a very very confident eye contact you're you're um you just you have a strength about you uh at least from the brief time that we've been chatting with each other it's a um it's a strength but it's not a forced strength it's a very kind of um like you know where your power is you know what i mean that's 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 the vibe i get from you is that um it's from my diaphragm <laughs> that's what my the vocal teachers always say <laughs> breathe breathe from your right. from speak from your diaphragm that's your center yeah um but yeah i just get that vibe from you that you've been through a lot of shit and not a lot of <laughs> things kind of phase you and you would love to have a pleasant day but if you got to chew somebody's ass out you're going to set your keys down and you're going to set to the ass chewing is that a fair assessment yeah maybe yeah probably except i don't like to i don't i don't really like to chew ass so much anymore i just <laughs> it's not it's not my preferred dinner <laughs> really uh, what wine goes with an ass chewing oh it's got to be a like, so, probably so like a yeah i was thinking like that or a simillion like something kind of like crisp and white and like yeah. acidic yeah. a little bit fruity in there yeah, yeah some citrus <laughs> um definitely some floral yeah. notes to offset the ass yeah uh, um oh, how do we get spun <laughs> off on that um what would you like to talk about i uh i I'm good with talking about like medical trauma and um and or you know I can you know I'm happy to talk about uh not happy to talk about I will hap but I'll discuss sexism and sexual assault and the way that that has played a role in my life um and the way uh healing from that has changed me um because that has been a big thing um 
I think as anyone could imagine, like that's, that's a giant thing in anyone's life. Um, uh, I think, I think that there's been a lot of violence in my life from start to finish. And I think that the overall impact of violence in my life has led me to sort of drive towards, um, like almost an aggressive, uh, pursuit of peacefulness, which is, I mean, it's not strange. I think that that's just kind of what people do, um, when you had a lot of violence, but, um, yeah, I don't really want a lot of mess anymore. Um, I feel like when I was younger, uh, I was, there was a lot of focus on like instinct, but at the same time being told not to trust mine in lieu of, uh, respecting authority, which is meeting your parents. Yes, but not necessarily them, but also just authority figures, which also extends to medical figures and also extends to teachers and extends to anybody who's in power and any sort of like traditional source of power. Um, and I didn't really buy that because I don't, I think that from a young age, I saw that it wasn't really working for anyone and it wasn't really something that they abided by and that the people around me were not really like walking the walk. Um, so I think I grew up with kind of like a healthy, a healthy distrust of authority Mm -hmm. figures. Um, but also kind of like a very confused, uh, sense of like myself and, um, my instinct and whether or not my instinct in things was correct when I was younger. I think it's one of the worst things that you can set a child up for in later life is to gaslight them and have them lose touch with believing their instinct and, and doubting their own uh, choices. You know, I mean, there's certainly time for self-reflection and everybody has a certain amount of self doubt, but, um, I'm sure we all know people who can't feel comfortable in a single decision in their life. Yeah. That just beat themselves up over everything and shoulda, coulda, wouldas. And it's just such a terrible way to go through life. You know, I have to say that um, as confident as um, I seem or I give out, I do fall prey to that all the time where I want everyone, I have a lot of people pleaser in me and I want the people around me to be happy, especially the people that I care about. And I don't want to hurt them. That's a big fear, like hurting or causing harm, especially accidentally. Um, And especially like irreparable harm. Um, And I don't know what would constitute irreparable harm? And I'm also aware that a lot of the times the things that harm people the most are the things that you don't intend to harm other people. And I think that that's something that it like eats away at me and that frightens me and makes me very, uh, makes me nervous and makes me question a lot of decisions. And also like, um, it's not so much anymore, but it used to keep me in relationship, like any type of relationship, like whether it was friendships or romantic relationships or um, working relationships, like it just kept me in those for far too long. Um, I had like a misplaced sense of loyalty, um, which is one of the worst things I think you can have um, because your sense of loyalty should always be to yourself. Um, and I, I didn't have that. I didn't understand that that was a thing 
that you're supposed to have. Are you talking like, I'm not saying you're a love addict, but like that kind of uh, afraid to get out of a relationship because you don't know if this relationship is, if you're just being too picky or if this relationship is doomed and so I'm just going to stay. Is is that what you're talking about? Oh, no. I think that I was just, uh, whenever I was in a relationship, um, uh, I either, I've always either been like in a relationship that was either like long distance or monogamous or something for a very long time that required very little emotional intimacy Mm -hmm. um, where I didn't really have to deal with it, which was fine by me because then I'd be like, okay, well I'm with this person and, and that's fine. But I didn't have any of like the actual benefits of a relationship and I didn't, like, I didn't really know what being in a relationship was, I guess, yeah. even though I was in a couple of relationships that were very long. Or I've just been, I don't know, like, with people and in short relationships or, like, in casual things um, where I've just tried to treat other people with respect. It's not, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, or I've gone through, like, long periods where I'm just not with people. Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's about um, feeling respect for, ugh or just feeling loyalty for myself over other people. Mm. Yeah, I think I might need a second because I think that I'm getting a little bit dizzy, which is why I might have been getting a little bit strange here. Well, that's okay. Um, uh, sorry. Do you want to pause? That would be good. Yeah. Thank you. Hold on. Sorry. Yeah, let's talk. We, uh, uh, we had just paused because she was getting dizzy, and um, part of it is from the... Yeah, due to the, the brain tumor, <laughs> which is which you which we've glossed over. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Let's talk about important stuff. Let's not talk about the brain tumor. But you look like you were uh, as we paused recording there for a little bit, and you were feeling, expressing, feeling a little apologetic about being spacey, and 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 I said, well, let's talk about you being frustrated. Sure. About talking. Yeah. Because that's. Well, like I was ready to talk about PTSD stuff and I was thinking about it a lot today and I was like, oh, what should I talk about? And um, then I'm here and we're talking about it and and we started to talk about it and I rattled off a bunch of things and then it was like, I mean, this is exactly, this is what the experience was like. It was like taking um, a bag of marbles and throwing it on the table and then going, oh, that's everything. And then reaching for the marbles and not knowing where to go uh, or where to reach um, and then uh, trying to talk around something else. So like everything that we talked about after that, I am not really sure what I said. I think that I was just kind of reaching for the other marbles. Um, it's totally unclear to me what I said. However, um, yeah, I feel a lot of pressure to be on. I mean, I know that With this me? is right here, right now. Well, no, just, um, uh, to keep like being functional in the I world, see. yeah. What are you feeling right now, um, emotionally? Um, emotionally, uh, um, I am. I'm tired. I'm slightly. Uh, I'm slightly disappointed in myself. I'm a little bit relieved that we're actually talking about this because um, it is opening, and it's not. I mean, this is what people experience. Um, I'm slightly dizzy in my head. It feels like a bal- there's a balloon at the front 
of my brain. Um, it's so confusing and so frustrating to me when like memory things go because I used to be so sharp um, and have a really great memory. Um, and now like there are all these things that I want to do and I can't do all of them. And um, I'm used to that feeling because like that's a thing that happens um, with your body for like years and years with uh, disabling illnesses, especially things like ehlers down Like earlier today, um, I was sitting down and like one of my legs started to tingle from like the knee down and I started to lose feeling in my leg, which is a new disturbing symptom. And like that's like nerve loss and that could mean something. It could be serious. It could just be pins and needles. But if it continues, then it's like a symptom of progression. Um, and that's scary. But I don't feel like it's as scary as stuff in my brain because I'm not used to stuff in my brain going. I'm used to stuff in my body going. It's so weird. Is the tumor inoperable? I think everything is inoperable in me because uh, I have Ehlers-Danlos. So if you open me up, I just kind of, uh, I'll go away. <laughs> no, it's getting smaller, though. I mean, what I'm... Are they uh, treating it? Or? Yeah, I'm being treated. So like, that's getting smaller. The thing is, and it's not that big to start with, but the thing is that with the tissue in my body having Ehlers-Danlos, and this this is actually the first time that I've talked about this, or I haven't even written about this on the internet publicly, um, is that uh, it like moves around the other tissue in my brain. So it just like moves things. So like I'm so flexible and my tissue is so flexible. So it just shifts things. So that's kind of the danger that it'll knock stuff out of place. Also, like I have migraines and cluster headaches and stuff like that. So the Why other... Not? Why not? Well, <laughs> those are normal ehlers Danlos things. And those are also normal person things. But for me, they can like send me into the hospital. And I've, you know, I've had some bad hospitalizations in the past year and it... Uh, you know, how many days a, a year are you at a doctor's office or the hospital? Um, this year it was a lot, uh, and I don't know it. It's been less in the past couple of months because I've just mostly been like doing stuff at home. Um, and but I've also just been home most of the time. What's the longest stretch you go without going to the doctor or a hospital? That it's like two or three weeks if I'm taking off time, if I'm like intentionally not scheduling then it's two or three weeks. And even then I'm like going in for a blood test. So that's, I hope you have good health insurance. Um, right now I have good health insurance, but it's still the medical bills are killing me. Yeah. It's Which then is, not it, fun. It, it, it's an yeah. added stressor. It is. It's a giant stress. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not too fun. Um, we end up paying, so much more um forget the medical bills and forget the hospital who, bills themselves and who is we um sick people um mm -hmm. just in things like um like i'm sitting on a cushion because i like i had to buy the cushion because normal seat padding is not necessarily going to cut it wherever i go so i have a cushion that i take with me in my car um in case, like, I, I knew that we would be sitting here for a couple of hours, so I brought it inside. Um, I also have additional padding and stuff in different places. Um, I have to buy special clothing to make sure that I'll be okay. I have so many braces that it's kind of bizarre just to accommodate 
the different things that happen in my body and the different things that dislocate. Um, medications are, ugh, those are expensive. Are you constantly in debt? I'm not doing great with money, but I'm better at money than a lot of people are at money. Um, so I'm okay right now. How do you support yourself? Um, I, uh, I'm a writer and, uh, I deal with insurance stuff and I just kind of cobble stuff together. One of the things that you said that you wanted to talk about was the, um, sexism in, uh, the arena of, uh, sexual assault. Oh yeah. My first sexual experience was sexual assault. Um, uh, I had been like, I'd kissed someone before that. And then I was sexually assaulted, uh, when I was 13. Um, and then, um, I had like another experience in 10th grade where, uh, I was like my next sexual experience after that was like, I was making out with a boy that I kind of liked. No, actually I had experiences with women in between there, but like then my next sexual experience after that was, yeah, with a boy that I kind of liked and we were making out and he, and my family was home and they were in the next room and he got really aggressive and like shoved his hand down my pants and I was like screaming at him not to. Um, and then my par- my family came in the room and he got up and ran out and like, it was like a weird, crazy thing. Um, so that was another assault. And when I, I have so many things like that over time and I don't think that I'm alone in that. Um, um, from the surveys that I read? No. You're not. Um, and Which is incredibly depressing. It is depressing. Um, and I have been assaulted after that um, multiple times, a couple of different people. Um, and when you have been sexually assaulted, it raises the likelihood of you being assaulted again. Which is a really difficult thing to... That's a difficult idea to express because you have to express it in a way that lets the victims or survivors know and know in certain terms is it something that they are doing that 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 they are bringing it upon themselves no, it's not it's just there's just a a vibe that predators um i guess pick up on i guess they can see you know i i suppose just like in the animal kingdom a predator can spot somebody that has a wound right it's grooming like it and it's stuff it's little things and it's little like boundary testing and Mm -hmm. it's stuff like letting someone uh, do something that they don't really want to do and they'll accept anyway. Um, It's stuff like that. Um, And predators tend to do those sorts of things. And if they can get away with the very small things, they do it. They they should teach children uh, how to recognize what, you're being groomed Um, instead we teach children to accept hugs and to take everything that's given to them regardless of whether or not it makes them comfortable yeah and to ignore everything that they're feeling and to just go because there's a parent or it's a friend of the family and just to do it anyway so many it's really messed up it is so many of the surveys that i read on the website um made me realize that there is a correlation between the likelihood of a child being uh, sexually assaulted and that child's emotional reality being negated by their parent. Um, So many times the child that doesn't know how to advocate for themselves Mm -hmm. um, 
grew up in an environment where if they were sad, the parent would say, no, you're not, you're not sad, or stop crying, or whatever. So the the, the child just automatically assumes I'm wrong. So then somebody foists themselves on them, right. and the child freezes. The child doesn't know. They, they don't have a script to advocate for themselves, to say, no, I am right here, and what you are doing is wrong. They're just so used to just, you know... Does that make sense? It does. Um, we need to teach bodily autonomy. I really like it when I see parents who let their kids dye their hair what color they want or wear mm-hmm. the clothes that they want. And I feel like those are the kids who are going to have a better shake in the world. I um, couldn't agree more. Yeah, because you know they can do what they want to do, and they know that their body is their body. And it's, it's just going to be easier for them when they get older. Yeah. I think that saying no is such an important thing to learn and it's such a skill and it's something that we don't like we don't pay attention to enough and we have guys uh, painting our house and one of them broke a light on the outside of our house Mm -hmm. and I am dreading having to confront them tomorrow but because (laughs) they broke it and then they tried to hide the fact that it was broken and um, I, I hate confrontation. And I just, I, I really want to not say anything about it, but I know that's not the right thing to do. Oh God, I do. Um, I do Airbnb. Oh yeah, that's another way. I yeah, I do Airbnb. Which, so I have like I have a second room in my house. Oh, that you ran out. Yeah, and so um, that's a constant stream of boundary testing all the time with people. And it's always this really interesting exchange because it goes from like when people send the first message and when people um, make interesting requests before they get there. And then when they're actually in my house, like how they behave and whether or not they stick to the rules and what they want to do and the relationship that they decide that they want to have with me when they're in my house. And everyone is different and it's very strange. And like, it's there are these really interesting, intimate, sort of relationships because like I'm living with someone for a couple of days to like a month. And um, some of the relationships end up being like really kind of beautiful. And like, I get to know these people in like a really interesting way. And I have these great talks with them. Um, And I have only had like one or two bad experiences and they were not like earth shatteringly bad, but again, like they all just kind of stop at the boundary and at like this like I know the second that I was a little bit more lax was the second that it just went to hell do you want to be more specific uh there was a girl who um I did not listen to my instinct and uh she wiped blood on uh yeah she wiped menstrual blood on the desk wow yeah yeah, when she left. She didn't, like, abide by the the checkout time, and she wiped menstrual blood on the desk. So I had to um, do some severe stuff. I think she also stole, like, a glass or something. Wiping, it was a little weird. Wiping menstrual blood on the desk, is that the female way of dropping the mic? I, I think so. I don't know. She was... It was a little bit crazy. But the night before, she had really been very... Um, forthcoming and oversharey and i think i just kind of like let my guard down too much and it was a little i let the boundary go and 
Yep. What was the, what was your boundary? Um, I have like sets of things that I do with people and sets of things that like I default to when I'm starting to feel uncomfortable or when I feel like they want to be, um, like when they want more from me emotionally than I'm ready to give in my own space. Um, and some of those are like intimate stranger type of things where it's kind of like, oh, well, these are things that I think that you'll like and you'll feel like I'm sharing something with you, but this is still something that I can do and maintain this boundary and this makes me comfortable. Um, one of them, and you know what, I don't think that this is shocking to anyone, is um, I make them watch, I just, I turn on the Beyonce video album. Mm-hmm. I don't <laughs> I'm like, here, let's just watch the Beyonce videos. And it's something that I do. And uh, usually it just kind of quiets everything down and makes people feel like we're sharing something because I love Beyonce. Who doesn't? If you don't, don't tell me about it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I don't know. And we can talk about it and we can talk about their cultural associations with her and we can make it into like an academic conversation and everyone is comfortable again. It's a nice launching off point that, that isn't too overly personal, but it, no, it brings it, it brings it back to the center. It brings it back to Beyonce. Everything is good. She's a great middle point. It's a, it's a place between what's it like outside and what do you like in your ass? It's a, it's a nice middle ground. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't have to chew anyone's <laughs> ass. Did I? Did I? <laughs> did I just swell your tumor? No, no. I think no, for a second I, I was, was just like, thinking. I think I, I think I might have just. I crossed thought that it boundary. was a good. I thought it was a good pause. <laughs> and then I, I was thinking I, of wine, and I was like, oh, ass chewing and the glass in your house. I I panicked for a second because you yeah. know I don't really know my guests when they come in here, no. and there's some times that I've. <laughs> Uh, you know, I've gotten a little too dark or inappropriate. And for a second, I was like, was that inappropriate? No, that's fine. What, is, what does that mean? That's Oh, no, no, that's no. Really like that's, yeah, okay. that's truly fine. Like, okay. I, no, um, I, it's not, I'm not a very conservative person. I don't know if you got that sense from me. I, I did get that I'm just sense not from you. Very conservative. My parents are in the tea party. Are they? They are. They're tea partiers. They've. They have a little chapter. They've sent me photos of my dog watching Fox News. I don't think he's watching it. I think he's, I think he's watching them watch it. It's a very weird thing. Yeah. This may be the most circuitous interview that that we've ever done on, <laughs> on the podcast. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The, the 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 opening uh, part of it was really focused, and and we. We got into that, and then we just seem to have uh, – not that it's a bad thing. It's just as an interviewer, I don't really know where to go where to go, okay. or what to – because I feel like I would be a lax interviewer if I just said, well, talk about what you want to talk about, because then I feel like I'm – Well, I'm, so what are you interested in? Like, what do you want to talk about, or what do you want to know? You know what? I – I think the stuff that is hardest to talk about is the stuff that is the most compelling sure. to listen to. What is the the most difficult thing for you to emotionally uh, talk about an area of your life that you want to uh, 
forget um, uh, a part of yourself you don't like, somebody that that you can't um, yeah. get away from? Oh, well, here's something that makes me really embarrassed, actually. Um, I had a really close friendship uh, with someone um, when I moved here. Uh, like someone I met after I moved here and they were like the first sick person that I found in Los Angeles. They didn't have what I had. And, um, I became like really close friends with them. Um, and, uh, we were really good friends. Like, I don't know. We had a couple of periods where we stopped being friends because, uh, they were not the best friend to me. I mean, tr- truthfully like i was having a hard time and uh he could not handle it and like it wasn't a romantic relationship it was just a friendship um and he was kind of a jerk and uh i was so we didn't talk for like a year and then um he got sick and he called me and was like hey um i need help and um I was like, I don't know what to do with this emotionally. Like, this is really hard for me because this person meant the world to me. And like that year of us not talking was like, took a lot to like get over. And, um, cause they had really like, kind of like, they meant the world to me. Um, so I kind of very cautiously <laughs> got back involved in that friendship and I had like, everyone in my life was like, are you really sure that you want to do this? Um, and I did. And, um, and it was great. And, uh, I loved them so much and they meant who's they, this, uh, this part, he, um, I'll call him Adam. Okay. Um, he meant the, I keep saying he meant the world to me because he did. He was my favorite person. And when I was having like really, hard medical things, I would call him. And when I was at my lowest, I would call him um, or go and hang out with him. And he was just really comforting. And it took me a really long time to realize that like the only other times in my life that I had felt that comforted were like when I was with my grandfather who died like in 1996. Um, it's taken like a lot to figure out that like that is connected in some sort of way. Um, but last year, when I started to get like the brain tumor, um, we had a falling out and then we kind of stopped speaking. And then he was a jerk to me in the spring. And then when I got like the final diagnosis, he just ghosted me and just cut me out again. And it's been a year. And it guts me every time I think about it, it just like rips me apart. You can see in your eyes. Yeah, it sucks. And I feel so ashamed because, like, he didn't... He wasn't that great in the end, especially. He was really supportive and really wonderful, and I valued our friendship a lot. And I know that he did, too. And I know that he um, cared about me a lot. And I know that he has also gone through a lot of stuff and I'm sure he has whatever reasons he has. I don't know what they are. I never will. And that sucks too. Yeah, it just sucks. 
And I feel a lot of shame about knowing that I shouldn't feel this way about somebody who dropped me from their life twice. It's embarrassing. So mm. that's a horrible thing. That's the most painful thing I have, truthfully. And I think that it's horrible that like that's the most painful thing that I have because I have so many other things that are, strictly speaking, more painful. And like he's someone that brought so much like love and joy into my life. And I still like think about him when I need that comfort. Like, and there are still times when he does bring me that comfort, like just thinking about him and thinking about the past and thinking about our friendship and thinking about like when I was going through really dark, dark, dark times and like the things that I needed to survive, um, that he was there for, that doesn't go away. And that's hard. Thank you for sharing that. Ugh. That's the worst. And that's, that's embarrassing. <laughs> and you know why, I th I, my opinion, why I think that's <clears throat> more painful than the medical stuff is because that's something where we go, oh, well, maybe I, this wasn't something that was done to me. Maybe I, I'm at fault here. Maybe there, there was something that I, that I did. We hurt each other in a lot of ways. Like, I know that I can say that, like, he did this to me and he did this to me, but I know that I also hurt him in a bunch of ways, and I know that I wasn't perfect. I mean, I know that neither of us were, and we, you know, we were not great for each other. Clearly, otherwise, we would still be friends. Um, but I, yeah, it's just painful. I had to cut my mom out of my life because there, I just I had no other choice because I would get depressed for two weeks afterwards uh, after being even just reading a letter. Oh. And I was just like, this is, you know, I, I had asked for certain boundaries to be respected and she wouldn't respect those. And um, it was the hardest thing I ever had to do because on the one hand, you know what you want it to be, what it could be. And then there's what is. I know. And you can't get those two to meet. There was just no ground in between. And so you have to choose. Live in this fantasy and be spun out and fucking depressed all the time <laughs> and just keep getting emotionally injured um, and probably emotionally injuring her as well because then I, you know, wound up saying, will wind up saying something mean or be withholding. And um, and I eventually had to make that decision. And it probably took about two years to get to the point where I didn't feel a sickness in my stomach like a, oh, I'm a terrible person or or I'm I'm I, I there was some route that I could have taken that I'm just too lazy or stupid to take that I just pulled the eject button instead of trying harder all the things that you did are any of those ringing true with you yeah a lot of them ring true um it's not a relationship that i want to be in um i mean i know that i said that it hurt and that they meant the world to me but it's not a real with everything in my life right now it's it's not something that i want to go back to necessarily but like i 
I don't know. I think you need more stress. I think you need more stress (laughs) in your life. I think you're a little... Oh, God. I think you're a little baby weakling. (laughs) And I think you need to suck it up and take on some more shit. Yeah, I just... um, I I just kind of hope that they don't feel that horrible or like they're a horrible person because I don't... I don't feel that way. Like, it... I mean, there are some days that I get really angry, but I don't... It's not really them. It's at everything. Give me something else that that's oh, hard to uh, as I just sure. scoop out your um, innards. Uh, oh, I'm terrified of parrots. That's not, that's not the hard thing. That's kind of interesting. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, well, it's that whole thing where like it's a. I mean, I'll go back to the serious stuff in a second, but I have to do that again. Like this is these are all PTSD coping techniques. I'm sure that you recognize this stuff. Avoid, avoiding a little bit, like yeah. the avoiding and the and the laughing and stuff. But yeah. the like, um, but I do think that like they are these kind of majestic birds that live that outlive us by a significant amount, and mm-hmm. we keep them in our homes in cages. I think that that's terrifying, and I think that they will kill us all. Um, <laughs> They will merge with the robots. They they will. Um, I I have all of those feelings. Not not all of those common feelings, but uh, the feelings that uh, I'm not r- lovable or that I'm not capable of loving, really. Um, which, like, clearly can't be true because I have loved people very deeply. Um, and I think that I don't know. I think that I love a lot of people and a lot of things in different ways i just don't i think it's very difficult to be intimate with people like that's the understatement well emotionally yeah emotionally that's what i mean like and truly emotionally emotionally intimate like there's the false sense of intimacy and there's like bringing people to a certain level but then there's like the real intimacy and like there's the real acceptance of everything and for a lot of for a lot of people with disabilities, there's like, will they accept my disability and my physicality? And I mean, I've been sick for so long. And um, like I've mentioned a couple of times, I was married. And um, I know that my ex-husband did not accept my disabilities. Um, and that was a big part of like our, um, just a big part of our marriage. Like I know that he didn't accept them from the beginning. And that like that he liked the idea of accepting them as an outside thing, which is just very strange. But um, that's also common, unfortunately. But I don't really feel fear that like people aren't going to ex- accept me because I feel like I'm so out and I'm so on the table about what's going on in my body and what everything else is. I think that if people don't accept me, it's because I think I appear too impenetrable or like everything is together and nothing is together. Um, Like I'm a giant mess. Like there are books all over my bed and laundry on half of my bed. I have two friends that come into my bedroom on like a regular basis. um, And it's just a joke about like how much of a crazy pile my bedroom is and how some days it's a little bit better, but some days it's horrible. Um, and it's never really been okay. Like it's never, I'm, I'm never going to have a clean bedroom ever in my life. It's that just, two of us. it's never going to happen. Yeah. Um, I've tried, I've wanted to, it's, it's not going to happen. Um, let's go, let's go into some fears. Oh, sure. 
Um, Give me some fears. I fear that the people I love uh, will die without knowing how they've been loved. Oh, I'm just. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. I fear that I will have a bad epiphany towards the end of my life or I will realize that I just completely fucked up one area of it and couldn't see the truth. And now that I'm seeing the truth, whatever that truth is, it's too late. That I'm just going to have a like a huge regret at the end of my life that could have so easily been remedied earlier if I'd only been aware or more loving or more present. But what is too late? You know, a week before. What the, is the, the likelihood the of that happening, though? But I mean, really, like in, you in seem my, like in my crazy brain, it's probably about thirty uh, percent chance that something like that is going to happen it seems like you're doing not only this podcast but it seems like you're doing some aggressive work on like being conscious or pushing towards a conscious life how do you how do you reduce the fear i think by trying to be more present and trying to consider um other people but you know when i get into that place where i'm uncomfortable in my skin and i don't want to be around people and any kind of project feels like too much effort and i just want to play civilization five and take a nap (laughs) um that's the only thing that comforts me is 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 doing that you know netflix and popcorn or civilization five or playing hockey and i just worry sometimes that instead of that being healthy self-soothing comfort doing those things that i'm just uh unplugging from what might have been a more beautiful life if i just tried harder or could see what was so obvious to anybody else i i know it's it's mostly illogical but there's just enough logic in it to give me pause and make me but maybe that's good because then it keeps me from assuming everything I do is great and I'm never going to be a dick to anybody and uh, I'm selfless around the clock. Yeah. This is going to sound really weird. I went to a psychic years and years and years ago. Um, uh, I'm not super into that. Um, but when around the time that I was getting diagnosed and I wasn't being diagnosed... Uh, a friend of mine sent me to this psychic. And one of the things that she said to me, uh, and this was in 2002, was um, you are going to need to spend a couple of years on the couch eating cookies and watching Buffy, which I think is kind of a very funny and specific thing to say. And I also wasn't watching Buffy at the time, but it was just that I needed time to incubate and to like rest and watch stuff and to figure out I don't know what I was doing. Um, I think we need some rest time and I think we need to kind of unwind, especially, especially with mental illness. Like we need to unplug. And I think unplugging is a really hard thing to do. Yeah. Cause I think we, we become so focused on the idea that we need to do more to be valid, um, to be enough, uh, that we equate not doing anything with being a bad thing. 
Right. Whereas sometimes the best way to recharge your battery is to just sit in the backyard and look at the trees for an hour. Oh, yeah. And watch your dogs and, you know. I mean, your brain is part of your body. You know, it's contained in it. It's it's a part of it. And so it, like, it has physical ties to it. It has a physical effect. And it, I mean, everyone knows that mental illness has a physical effect on your body. Um, those things are helpful. One of the things that I learned um, back when I was in art school was that there was a lot of just sitting in the studio and looking at the wall or sitting and reading the books and just contemplating and thinking um, involved in the act of doing and making the work. Um, and that is doing and making the work. It's just kind of resting and working on it. Um, you can be active while you also kind of seem still. I mean, your mind is still going. It's still mm. working. And it's just we can't necessarily see it. It's very true. Very true. And I forget that sometimes. You know, I just think about the to-do list, you know. But at the end of your life, are, is anybody going to go, wow, I kicked ass on that to-do list in September of 2015. That that was a hell of a to-do list I got. Yeah. Let's do some loves. I'm getting depressed. Oh, yeah. Well, I was... I like seeing somebody in like a minute or two before they notice that you're there and they're just kind of at rest or they're doing whatever it is that they're doing. Um, Unselfconsciously. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. It's just, it's a beautiful moment. Yeah. Um, I love how much Herbert, uh, when his hair is cut short, how much he looks like a, a Herbert, our, our little dog, how much he looks like a lamb. What kind of dog is he? He's part Chihuahua, part something, oh. but he's white, and uh, when his hair is cut short, um, he looks like a little lamb. That is At pretty least adorable. to me, he does. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love it when people feel good about themselves and can say it, and can just say, I look good. I love it. That's... It makes that me really happy. One. That is a great one. And I got that vibe from you in the in, in the beginning um, when we were talking about your project. And um, you, you've got a, a warrior gene in you. Do you ever feel like that? A little bit. I mean, yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you just... You just... Uh, you just uh, exude a... Uh, a calm strength, uh, not that there's no fragility in there, but you exude a uh, somebody who's been through some shit and has kind of uh, thrown away a lot of stuff that they don't need yeah. and is focused on what they do. I just get that vibe from you. Thank you. The thing that makes me nervous about it, especially in the context of the work that I'm doing, is that um, there are certain things that happen to other disabled people that don't happen to me. And it's not because of how I look. It is because of that attitude. Um, like when I use my disabled tag, people don't mess with me. And I know that I don't look disabled. I know that I don't present as disabled. I know that I don't seem disabled when I walk out of my car. I haven't been hassled in a parking lot in a long time. The only time I was hassled was when my very old basset hound was decided to get out of the driver's side door 
and he's very clearly not a um, an assistance dog. And I would never pass him off as an assistance dog, but he, I was taking him to be groomed, and he got out of my driver's side door, um, and a police officer was driving by, and so they stopped and asked me for information. And they're the only people who are allowed to stop and ask you for identifying information. Nobody else can bother you. So if you are invisibly disabled or young and you use a tag and somebody bothers you, um, just keep walking because you don't have, I mean, you need your energy for yourself. You don't need your energy. Like that's not an awareness moment. I'm just telling everyone. I got to say a brief fuck off uh, is, is a pretty sweet thing to toss their way. Yeah. But that can also just give you like a negative thing and just like make you feel bitter and make it harder for you to get through your next couple of minutes. Not if you twirl your mustache right after you say it. Oh, yeah. That takes, that. that's why the pointy mustache gets rid of all the negative energy. That's why a guy's twirled it at the end. Give them out. Yeah. Uh, and you're completely right. It's because it, just engaging that, you, then you're trying to, you know, like my friends in my support group say, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And uh, sometimes just trying to get into an argument to prove your your point with somebody that whose opinion doesn't matter. Yeah, their opinion a, doesn't matter. And they just, it's not a teachable moment. They're not going to be turned around and you're never going to have the satisfaction of being like, well, I am disabled mm-hmm. here. The, the things that I'm telling you are true because they've already made up their mind and they're yeah, just and going to try and like, and they might just they call help. you a liar then. And, right. And know. then it's, it and just escalates. What? Yeah. Yeah. Just use the energy to like get to the store and get home. Um, yeah, so and, like and key their car when they're not looking. <laughs> right, you should definitely do that. Definitely key their car. It's actually a form of self-care, keying. I think keying so. Keying an asshole's car. Ah. <sighs> we 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 got to wrap up. Oh god, um, yeah, it's so, been a long time. Um give me uh give me one more love. No pressure. I love all of the other people with chronic illnesses. Um and disabilities who are so supportive of each other online and who reach out and uh, talk to each other and share information and tips and form such an ironclad support group. Um, It has been amazing. And I feel uh, privileged to be a part of that community every day. That is beautiful. Oh, that's true. uh, Uh, if people want to get a hold of you or learn more about your support groups or your project or what's the best way for um, them to, to contact you or check out your pictures. I am on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Gmail at uh, Carolyn PRG. That's K-A-R-O-L-Y-N-P-R-G. And um, the Tumblr where everything is, is hospitalglam.tumblr.com. Carolyn, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, as I said, that episode was recorded five years ago, so Tumblr is no longer in existence, but uh, there is an archive of that stuff on there. And so I asked her for an update, and she wrote and said, here's the thing about that interview. I was struggling so hard to keep my train of thought intact due to the tumor of which I was cleared in early 2016, that I was unable to create other memories of it outside of the discussion, and I'm not sure if this was edited out, outside of the discussion we had about your then-recent experience witnessing a public gun death. I remember the blank shock on your face, even at recalling it, and the pain in lightening it. Um, it was... 
I have no idea what was said, but I'm sure it is a portrait of someone working really hard to hold it together. It was also before I got the chance to really delve into policy with other members of the disability community or have more experiences that challenged my own framework with regards to our evolving healthcare system and its many deficits. In my imagination, I could have done better, said more, served my community more purposefully, but that is holding my very sick body to an unrealistic standard. I am very interested in hearing our discussion. Um, and she is still uh, available on Instagram at Carolyn PRG, and that's K-A-R-O-L-Y-N-P-R-G. And uh, articles and other work are available at com. Many, many thanks to her. As I said earlier, um, one of our sponsors for today is Squarespace. Turn your dream into a reality with Squarespace. <laughs> that was kind of an awkward introduction. Uh, if you have never tried Squarespace, it is such a great product for creating your own website. Uh, I have used them for a couple of years with a website that I created to uh, host my favorite pictures of dogs that I've taken, as well as uh, little pieces of music that I created and played. If you're interested in, in seeing those, it's paul-gilmartin.squarespace.com. And it took me about, I don't know, maybe an hour and a half to put it all together. Uh, you know, Whether you're looking to start a new business or showcase your work or publish content, sell stuff, Squarespace is the tool for you, and their templates are awesome. Uh, with just a couple of clicks, you can make a really cool website, and their e-commerce functionality lets you sell anything online, and analytics will help grow your site in real time. Everything's optimized for mobile right out of the box. There's no patches or upgrades ever, and buying domains is uh, really simple, and you can get the help you need with Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support. Um, so if you guys are interested, head to squarespace.com slash mental for a free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, use the offer code mental to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash mental and offer code mental. We are also sponsored today by Roman. Uh, a lot of people deal with uh, erectile dysfunction, and I am not embarrassed to say that I am one of them, and my life is so much better once I decided to face reality and get some ED meds, and Roman is a really easy way to get those meds. Um, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. Your doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. And if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. And the whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. And getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com mental and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. And it is also way cheaper than it was when I was getting it through my insurance. Um, so I'm a, a very happy customer. So go to GetRoman.com mental 
to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash mental for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash mental. We have some interesting surveys for today. Um, got some good shame and secret surveys, some good loves, some good happy moments. This is from the love survey, and this was filled out by Rhonda, and she writes, I love it when, in spite of all the blankets, beds, and fluffy toys I've supplied my puppy with, she prefers to use my foot as her pillow. I also love to find my cat curled up on my unmade bed. I can't bring myself to disturb her nap, so on those days, I just pat her head and say, making the bed will have to wait. It's amazing how many people's loves from the love survey have to do with their their pets. And I, I think I would be one of them. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Quiet Coach Monitor. She identifies as straight. She's in her 40s, was raised in a totally chaotic environment, never been sexually abused, but uh, she has been emotionally abused. She writes, my parents were annoyed if I got emotional. I was told not to be that way. I was ignored when upset, even when very, even when a very small child. No one said they loved me. My mom still, well, she says mum. My mum still can't say it. My dad is now dead, so he lost his chance, exclamation point. My first partner lied and cheated on me when then goaded me to kill myself when I got upset. He told everyone I was mad and truly made me hate myself. Still struggle with those feelings 25 years on. I can't dress nicely. I'm scruffy and comfortable with that because no one looks at me. My husband never compliments me, and although he's generally kind, he doesn't understand my emotional reactions and would rather they just go away. I say he's like being married to a log, emotionally anyway. I'm terrified to be alone, so I can't leave him. And that's where some of your responsibility has to come in um you know complaining about somebody in our life but not doing anything about it is um it's it's not healthy it's not a healthy choice um it's it's continuing any positive experiences with these people i truly loved my first partner I'd never felt that way before. That was before he first cheated and destroyed me, and I stayed for more, as I was always hoping it would be like that first six months again. It wasn't. I miss our conversations, as I don't have that connection with my husband. I I, I would encourage you to go to joint counseling with your husband, because there you'll you'll really find out it's where the rubber meets the road and you'll really find out where your marriage is at because a good marriage counselor can help facilitate those difficult conversations and help air things out you know when things don't get aired out in a relationship it it is just sweeping all, all that stuff under the rug it is a lumpy lumpy rug darkest thoughts i caused my daughter's BPD, as I was such a horrible, shouting, slapping, stoned, unstable, single mother for five years. I did that to her, and I'll never forgive myself. Being a parent is the hardest thing I've ever done, and I secretly wish I wasn't one, as everyone would be better off if the buck stopped with me. 
instead of me passing on my own and my parents' shit to another generation. My punishment is that I have to watch my three kids fall apart in front of my eyes. I've had lots of therapy, and now I'm trying to put everyone back together again, but it's so hard because I want to fall apart myself. Every day I have to drag myself out of bed, and I do it for them because I truly love them all, and tell and show them every day as much as I can. Sorry for the rambling. You're not rambling at all. That's really... That's um, so heartfelt and uh, kind of heartbreaking at the same time. I can't imagine. I can't imagine how hard that must be. Darkest secrets. I punched my pregnant belly as I was so distraught with my life and wanted mine and the baby's life to end. That baby is now mentally ill as a young adult, and it's all my fault. I don't. I'm not a doctor, but I, I don't know if that would be factually correct unless a, a doctor has told you that. Um, anyway, continuing. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Having sex with two strangers I meet in the countryside, in a field, or being gang-banged by several men who stand around me aroused. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to tell my mother that I've had five years of therapy because of my childhood, which she thinks was rosy for some reason. I can't tell her this, as she's the type of mom who doesn't understand other people's feeling if they relate to her, and she just get upset about her own feeling, not how she's affected mine. She's not there for me ever, in fact. She agreed with my first abusive partner that I should have been smacked more as a child instead of protecting me from him. Wow. How can that not fuck you up? What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish more than anything in the world that my beautiful daughter gets some relief from her BPD as she's the most intelligent, funny, wonderful, talented woman, but is crippled by self-doubt and anxiety. I'd give my life for this in a heartbeat. And one of the reasons why I wanted to read your survey is because um, there's a great treatment from what I understand uh, to help manage BPD. And for those of you that don't know what BPD stands for, it stands for Borderline Personality Disorder. And there's a thing called DBT, uh, Dialectical Behavior Therapy, which can really, really help the person who's suffering and help their loved ones. Um, so you might you might look into that. Um, from what I understand, if there is a commitment towards working on it, a BPD can be managed and people can lead um, fulfilling lives. Have you shared these things with others? I have told most of this to my therapist, but still have periods of struggling with living with constant self-doubt and pain. How do you feel after writing these things down? Hopeful that someone recognizes that I was a bad person and am now really trying to mend the damage I have done. You know, I think that's that's clear in here that you are really trying and that you have seen the, the error of your ways. Um, I don't know why I use that phrase. <laughs> it just makes me feel 100 years old. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences, please keep going. Don't give up. Buddhist meditation has been a massive help to me. Try that? Question mark. Thank you for that. That was... You went deep on that one, and I really appreciate the surveys that, that go deep like that. This is from the Happy Moments 
survey filled out by Diana. She writes, I came home from a therapy appointment with a new therapist and had just told him about my sexual abuse as a child. I'd always, I always dread hearing the reactions to my abuse. I always get some kind of, eesh, that's fucked kind of response, which always somehow makes me feel extremely worthless. So I just walked in the door feeling low and insignificant, and my husband says, how was it? Normally, I would say fine and go wallow in my sickness, in my ickiness by myself. This time I said, I told my therapist my story, and now I feel gross and worthless and need a little more love tonight. He then gave me the biggest hug and told me how much he loved me. And then she put hashtag growth. I fucking love reading things like this because that to me not only is a sign of self-care and growth, but intimacy in a relationship to be vulnerable with that person and for them to meet you there and prove that they are capable of it. If we never get vulnerable with the partner, we never give them a chance to show their character or their inability to show up. Either way, we get important information as to whether we should continue being vulnerable with that person or address the issue of not having intimacy. This is from the Love Survey, filled out by a woman who calls herself Love at Second Sight. And she writes, I love the smell of old books. I love the evenings and snuggling under a big down comforter watching TV in bed, especially on a rainy night. I love the smell of fresh ground coffee. I love the moments when I remember life ends one day and it reminds me to appreciate the present moment. I love my infant daughter's giggles. I love taking a sick day to be cozy at home. I love finding an amazing TV show and getting invested in the characters. I love learning about new things. Those are beautiful. I'm so glad I created the, the love survey because it, I don't know, it just, um, you know, my other two favorite surveys are the, at least for bringing kind of positive energy or some lightness is the happy moment survey and the occasional awful some moments survey. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself self-raising flower. He identifies as straight. He's in his 30s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I don't know. There's a hazy memory or some significant discomfort alone with a teacher who later turned out to have been sexually abusing kids for decades, but I can't tell if I've buried a memory or started to manufacture one. I can remember no specifics beyond being acutely aware of how thin the material of my school trousers was. Several of my peers have reported very similar issues with not being sure whether they were. The way I feel about it makes me think something did happen and we were all the sort of kids emotionally to have been his typical prey. I feel very uncomfortable even writing this. He's not sure if he has been emotionally abused. After my mother died, I was expected to look after my dad with PTSD and I practically raised my youngest sister. My dad would wake me up 
at around 3 a.m. every night so he could describe his PTSD nightmares to me. Yeah, that is super fucked up. Sometimes he would describe nightmares he'd had about horrific accidents that he witnessed during his time in the military. I ended up never sleeping at night. I would try to ignore his screaming sometimes, but it just made him angry. I will never forget his authoritarian voice calling me a cunt of the first order. I felt as though I didn't matter outside of my duty to my family. I gave up on my future. My dad started drinking. He would drink several bottles of whiskey every night and began sleeping on the sofa downstairs. He would send me off to the he would send me to the off-license, uh, in parentheses, liquor store to buy whiskey and strong beer every day. He would not listen to me when I tried to convince him to even reduce his drinking, and he got angry when I refused to go and buy more. He would repeatedly drink himself to the point of having heart attacks, but when this happened, he wouldn't let me call an ambulance unless he passed out. He would make me hold his hand and squeeze it periodically, and I would be allowed to phone an ambulance if he didn't squeeze my hand in response. This went on for hours and happened several times a week. I don't think anyone in my family believes me except my middle sister, who had the good sense to get out of the situation and live with my mom. My mom had, ironically, sorted herself out somewhat and had won custody of my middle sister until succumbing to throat cancer. My dad never had a good word to say about my mother, and even after she died, he wanted more sympathy from me than he seemed capable of extending to any of us. I am told that this constitutes abuse. Yeah, that would be an understatement. I still have trouble accepting that, even though I recognize it objectively. It's amazing how we can see abuse so clearly when it's somebody else, but when it's us, we just make excuses. And maybe because it's so often mixed in with love and the occasional fond memory of that person or situation. Any positive experiences with them? He was my dad and was extremely caring, fun, and thoughtful when we were younger. Listing specific examples would be, frankly, too painful. I'm sorry. Darkest Thoughts. I sometimes watch aggressive porn, consensual sub-dom stuff, but definitely in a way that channels my anger. I am terrified that if I admit this to any partner or potential partner in the future, I will be seen for what I really feel I am, a mangled heap of disordered emotion not worth the effort of getting to know better. Darkest Secrets hitting my rebellious sister in an attempt to protect household order. I knew it was awful at the time, and my sister and I have spoken about it. She was the one who explained to me that my dad had an incredibly powerful grip on me and was psychologically using me as a tool to exert his frustrations physically. I once smacked my daughter in the same way my father would have when we misbehaved growing up, and I ended up removing myself from that household for fear that I was dangerous. That's when I started going to therapy. And as much as that sucks that that happened, good good on you for seeing that there was a problem and taking responsibility by starting to go to go to therapy. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. A girlfriend inviting me to release my anger and sadness during sex. 
not to be aggressive or abusive, just allowing negative emotions to be exercised in the act itself. I don't fully know what I mean by that, confusingly. I don't feel as ashamed about sharing that as I thought I would. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to have seen my mom before she died. I wish I could have told her I loved her. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish I could believe people when they tell me I'm good or valid or even that they like me. Have you shared these things with others? I've told my therapist most of this. I told my maternal aunt about my dad's abuse, but she thought I was embellishing the truth. She knows about how I treated my middle sister, and I'm sure that's difficult to forgive. How do you feel after writing these things down? A mixture of anger, pain, and bitterness. Mostly, though, I feel loss. And I think that's so important to feel those feelings because so often we we lock those negative feelings away and we just shit all over our lives and the lives of others trying to hold those feelings in because the coping mechanisms we resort to to stuff feelings down are a lot worse than the act of just finding a healthy way to process those emotions. There's no way around grieving and anger other than finding a healthy way to work through it. And then you're, it's out and it's lessened or it's gone. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? We were children and our childhoods were taken. We are not to blame. Also, shame is a useless emotion. Put it in the fucking bin. Thank you for that one. That's a, that's a lot, man. You got a lot. You got a lot on your plate. I'm sending you some love. This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Lust Star. She writes, there's a photo of me aged around five wearing a plastic apron over my clothes, painting in an easel in the garden of the public housing duplex my mom and I lived in at the time. My hair is up in pigtails with colored wood plated into them, and I've got a huge missing toothed grin on my face. I'm not sure whether the memory of being as happy as I look in that photo stems back to the exact day or to that period of time generally, but I vividly remember how happy I was playing and painting in that little garden area that Mum had done up so beautifully just for me. My real name is Fern, and she called that area Fern Hollow. I distinctly remember that when it rained, I'd catch big snails from the garden and use them as painting tools, dipping them in paint and allowing them to leave their painty, shiny trails on the paper I was painting on in some kind of abstract, unusual art form. Despite the fact that we were living in public housing and she was a single mom, not working and living on single parents' pension, so we were pretty poor, it was a sublimely happy period of my life particularly when juxtapositioned against the next year when I started preschool and mom returned to the workforce full-time, which equaled a lot less time for me, something I dearly missed due to the close bond we had. And she is writing from Australia, and I am sending sending some love and, and good vibes to the people down there dealing with the fires. Holy shit. 
I mean, we get fires here in Los Angeles, but it seems like nothing compared to what, what you guys are going through. Thank you for that survey. This is from the love survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Nadea. And she writes, I love when I'm all alone in the house. I crank up some of my favorite songs and artists and belt out each tune at the top of my lungs, free from the anxiety of judgment, even from myself. Joy washes over me, and for a few moments, I am unabashedly free, and it feels like pure, unconditional love. Oh, I love that. I have a hard time singing, even when I'm alone. I'm so judgmental. For some reason in the car, I can do it sometimes, but alone in my house, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm afraid a, a neighbor's going to hear me. This is the Shame and Secret Survey, and this is filled out by a gender-fluid person who refers to themselves as relapsing in Reistertown. They identify as gay. They're 18, were raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment never been sexually abused, not sure if they've been emotionally abused. Uh, They write, I'm really not ready to talk about it, sorry. Darkest thoughts. I think about seducing strangers I meet online and pretending to love them so that they will let me move in with them, away from my unstable family. In my fantasy, I'd have sex with them if I had to, to get away from here, even if I was in no way attracted to them. I'd lead them on for years if that's what it took. I also fantasize about starting a cult just to have people surrounding me who really thought I was amazing, even if they were all wrong. I wouldn't actually believe in a single thing I was telling them. I'd just be in it for the attention and sense of control. Darkest Secrets I called 911 on my family twice during violent fights involving my sister, but both times when the police arrived hours later, gee thanks, I pretended not to know what was going on since I was too much of a coward to report the abusive actions of a family member. My father committed suicide months later, and I feel like if I'd only followed through and got our family the help it needed, he'd be alive today. And that's one of the ways, and I'm so sorry that you experienced that, but that's one of the ways our brain lies to us to, to give us the, the some semblance of control, to think that we could have saved somebody else, but we can't. We can't. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I want to pretend to be unconscious and just let the other person have their way with me. I am a person obsessed with being in control since I wasn't in control of my circumstances for so much of my life. So for me, being in a situation where I trusted my partner enough to let my guard down completely and utterly would be an incredibly challenging and gratifying experience for me. Overcoming my inability to trust others with such a personal aspect of my life would be a great victory for me, not to mention I find the idea of a strong-willed partner very hot. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd want to tell my father I love him one last time. I used to say it every morning when he dropped me off at school, but I was mad at him the last time he dropped me off and gave him the silent treatment. I never saw him again and they found his body a week later. Not telling him that is one of my biggest regrets. Wow, that is that is heavy. That is heavy. I wish for a stable future and to escape my past. I live in a small town 
where it seems like everyone knows and I just want to leave it all behind and never look back. Have you shared these things with others? Only some of it and only with professional therapists who naturally reacted professionally. I couldn't bear to reveal most of this to my friends as it's my burden to bear and not theirs. Besides, I don't really trust them enough to tell them my secrets without having to worry about spending the next few months engaging in damage control from their incessant gossiping. If your friends are gossipy, I, I, I think you're doing the right thing and limiting how vulnerable you, you get with them. How do you feel after writing these things down? Tired. Glad to get it out, though. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Go to therapy and accept that you are a flawed but not broken. Accept that you are flawed but not broken. Though they may leave scars, these wounds can still be healed with time and the proper help. I still have a lot of issues and I still haven't escaped all of the situations causing them, but I'm working on it and I'd suggest you do the same. I love it when at the end of a survey, the person says what they themselves need to need to hear and it's such a, a profound example of the difficulty of intellectually knowing what needs to happen but emotionally feeling barricaded in this is from the love survey filled out by emma and she writes i love my dog he always knows when i'm sad and licks my tears away when i cry and when i can't fall asleep i spoon him and match my breath to his and it always helps me to relax i love <laughs> i love when gracie and i take a nap or we go to sleep and she spoons up against me and i put my I'm on my side and I put my arm between her front legs and and I can just feel her breathing and we both fall asleep that way. It's, oh, it's such an amazing feeling. And then finally, this is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Never Date an Artist. She writes, I was raised in a conservative, religious, and extremely homophobic family. When I hit puberty, I began to realize that I was attracted to women. I didn't know if I was a lesbian or a bisexual and tried dating boys. I eventually met a wonderful man. We fell in love and got married. As I got older, I started to feel like something wasn't right. My attraction to men had diminished over the years, and I started to feel like I identified more as a lesbian than as a bisexual. I made the excruciating decision to get a, do a divorce from my best friend and partner of 10 years. When we separated, I got on a lesbian dating app and started tearing through my city. I had 10 years of unfulfilled sexual desire, pain from leaving my husband, and rock-bottom standards. That combination led me to meet some very interesting women. I fucked a soccer mom in her van. A young butch who wanted me to call her fuckboy in bed. A woman who tried to bring her husband in for a surprise threesome even though I clearly stated that I wasn't into men. A woman who did not speak a word of English. We communicated through Google Translate. A woman with a serious peanut allergy who required me to complete a food journal the day we hooked up. A woman who thought smoking and brooding counted as a personality. A gorgeous femme who called me Poppy, even though I'm as femme as they get. 
but nothing compares to the woman whom I will refer to as Sharon. Sharon was an artist who did a lot of abstract feminist art. We had crazy sexual chemistry and clicked in the way that an alcoholic clicks with booze. She fell from me and I lost my head a bit under the spell of our intense physical relationship. Soon we were sharing our feelings for each other much too soon. I got a little spooked, but the sex was so good that I decided to hang in there a bit longer. We had slept together maybe four times when she casually invited me to go to a function where she was also going to paint for the audience. She warned me that, quote, a couple of people she knew, unquote, would be there to support her. Little did I know this included several friends and family members, including her mother. I was really disturbed at this point, but decided to hang in there a little bit longer to watch her paint. She started to paint, and I tried to make out what she was painting. Pretty soon, it became obvious that she was doing an abstract painting of my vagina in front of all her friends and family. Her gay best friend looked at the canvas, looked at me, looked at Sharon, muttered, Oh, Sharon, and rolled his eyes. I was mortified and stood frozen in place as my brand new lover completed a painting of my vagina in front of her mother. Let's just say that that relationship didn't work out. I think I'm going to stick with accountants from here on out. Oh, thank you for that. Thank all you guys for your surveys. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I hope you you are starting off the new year well. God, that sounds so generic. And let's end on that incredibly generic and trite moment. If you're out there and you're struggling, uh, just never forget that you are not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely.